Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode 73, Savagery. As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened previously in Attack on Titan, so you've been warned. I think this is a perfect title for this episode. Because this was savage as fuck. Savage as fuck. <laughs> like Aaron was savage as fuck. Levi was savage as fuck. Zeke was savage as fuck. Yeah. Flock, I mean, I guess you could say he was savage as fuck, but he was more like a little bitch. <laughs> yeah. And those cadets were savage as fuck. Yeah. Man, this was this was a brutal episode. But before we get into it, this was sort of a unique week for Attack on Titan. Yeah, that rhymed. It does. <laughs> it did. <laughs> um, but yeah, we got a double feature for this weekend uh, with both episode 73 and episode 74. And that was caused by the earthquake in Japan um, last weekend, specifically in Wakayama Prefecture. Um, so MAPPA decided instead of releasing the full episode 73 that they would re- release it concurrently with um, episode 74 this past Sunday. Um, Obviously, our thoughts are with those who were affected by the natural disaster last weekend, Um, but that just means we get a double dose of Attack on Titan this week. Yeah, definitely understandable, um, the decision that that MAPPA made. And we posted some updates about our podcast reviews on our Instagram and our Twitter accounts, uh, mentioning that our plan is to mirror exactly what MAPPA is doing and have our review episodes of 73 and 74 back-to-back. So not only do you get a double feature of Attack on Titan, you get a double feature of our reviews for those episodes. And if you're not following us on Instagram and on Twitter, you should definitely do so, so you can stay up-to-date on these type of updates and also see some bonus anime and behind-the-scenes content for our podcast. So that's at the Strictly Series on Instagram and at Strictly Series on Twitter. And again, we'll have the 74 um, review up right after this, so be sure to go listen to it so you can get our, our full review on everything. But we will try to not spoil anything, I guess, for mm-hmm. the next episode in this podcast episode review. So we'll, we'll try to be good about it as best as we can. So overall thoughts on episode 73. What was your, your big takeaway from it? Thinking about it, in hindsight, I realized that it's only three major scenes throughout the whole episode but even though there's i guess in that sense there isn't we always say there isn't a lot going on there's a lot that goes on in this episode in just these three significant scenes because shit has really hit the fan at trattoria nicolo and at erzy and zeke um and i gotta say this is probably one of my favorite episodes of this later half of um the season um is that because there's a fight between levi and and zeke yeah. a showdown <laughs> although you can't even really call it a, a showdown because it was definitely one-sided mm-hmm. i mean it seems like um any fight between levi and zeke so far has always been one-sided because levi ends up coming out as the victor <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think i am a little bit biased in saying that this is one of my favorite episodes because it does feature my boy levi very prominently um but other than that, like it, there's a lot that goes on this episode that we get a lot of intriguing dialogue, obviously at the get-go between the main trio and then some exchange between, of course, Zeke and Levi and the stuff that happens in Shiganshina. Um, so it's just, it was 
captivating episode overall. And it just makes me think, like, once we reach the end of this episode, is Zeke really the series big baddie all along? Yeah, there was a lot of ambiguity that he dropped on us in this episode, um, specifically when he was running away from Levi after he activated all of the uh, latent Titan powers in all of the uh, the scouts that were there. And it was a very JoJo run. He was like, I know, yeah. He, it was just such a funny way for him to run away um, and a, a very interesting moment for him to do that because he probably could have waited a little bit longer until Levi was further away, but he just chose to, to dip right then and there yeah what did you think about this episode i really enjoyed it a lot like i i don't know something about it was um it kept me on the edge of my seat because i think everything in this episode was pretty unexpected i think we probably could have called that zeke was gonna do something weird just because they kept kind of honing in on his face um in the beginning of his scenes with with levi Mm -hmm. but i don't know everything else just was really really surprising to me i did not expect aaron to just show up and you know tell mikasa he hates her and tell armin that he's a little fuckhead (laughs) but which is true and i also didn't expect flock to tell the cadets to beat the shit out of potato sergeant and again for anyone who doesn't know i don't remember that guy's name but i always called him potato sergeant because sasha is potato girl so you'll hear me call him that throughout this episode but then we get a reminder that it his name is keith shoddis shoddis and this yeah when it he cameos in this episode yeah i won't remember that it's gonna be potato (laughs) sergeant (laughs) yeah i i think that this episode was um it just like you said not a lot happened but what we got was super intriguing super unexpected um and really emotional i think that's another thing too about this episode was it was incredibly emotional emotional on a different level than some of the shit that we've seen with like gabby and and falco and, and um you know they're like their situation with Kaya and everything like that's emotional on an annoying level, <laughs> but this is emotional on like almost a, a personal level because these are characters mm-hmm. that we have seen, um, we've grown up with, we've seen their relationships develop and, and um, they, they're very special to us. And this is such a new light for us to see the main trio in where they're basically not getting along and they want to kill each other. And at the same time, it's also interesting to see like, levi kind of lose hope i think i mentioned this in the previous episode um with the cause that they're trying to fight for um and with him being so distrusting of zeke like you no longer see levi as this um this formidable figure or leader in the scouts um because there's so much here that happens that kind of dampens his his morale yeah that's a good point i think the only other time that we've seen him kind of in a state of vulnerability is when he had to make that decision on whether or not to save Erwin. Um, he just was really, really fucked up by that decision and understandably so. Um, but yeah, I think overall he's always maintained his cool. He's always been level-headed and, and pretty confident, but you're right. He, he is a sad boy this episode. But let's go ahead and buckle down on this brutality with our synopsis for Attack on Titan episode 73, Savagery. At their Knights of the Aaron Table discussion, the Jägermeister tries to clear the air about his recent activities with his two oldest friends, but with very limited success. He tells Armin that Bertotolo's memories as the Colossal Titan are clouding his judgment, and that Mikasa is essentially a sleeper agent for the Eldian royal family, thereby explaining her need to constantly protect Aaron, which he chides as a form of slavery now that Zeke has woken him up to the so-called truest form of free will. 
Armin tries to go world star on Eren, but Mikasa subconsciously defends him and the Jägermeister goes to town on Armin's torso before whisking them and gung-ho bag Gabby away to the place where it all began, Shiganshina District. Over at Titan Ground Zero, Commander Shiny Headshotis makes a brief cameo as he trains new scout recruits who are uncertain of the military's current effectiveness. Waka Flauka pulls up to disrupt the session and forcibly recruits some of the cadets to the Jaegerist cause by having them beat Shadis to a pulp as a pledge of their allegiance. Finally, at Air Z and Zeke, Lorai's Levi resolves to feed Zeke to one of the Jaegerists in order to prevent his fusion dance with Aaron Jaegermeister, but the brazen, beastly Beardo runs away from the camp and emits a roaring scream, which transforms the surrounding scouts into pure titans as intended by the tainted house wine. Falco Punch and the Military Brass are temporarily paralyzed at that moment, but remain in their human form. Levi reluctantly dispatches his former comrades and chases after Zeo, whom he incapacitates with a flurry of thunder spears as the latter tries to use his Beast Titan power to fight the former. The angry Ackerman takes away Zeo's disheveled body and impales him with a thunder spear to prevent him from getting any wise ideas about trying to fuck with him again. But all Zeke cares about at the moment are where his glasses went seemingly a memento from a childhood figure named Mr. Xaver. Although part of me thought he could just automatically regenerate those, like with his human body parts. Priorities, I guess. Do you think Zeke actually needs glasses? Or are they just for show? Because if Aaron can like stab an eye out and cut an, uh, a part of his leg off and then just regenerate, I can imagine that Zeke and all the other Titan wielders can just correct their, their eye prescriptions, right? So that he just has... 2020 vision yeah perfect vision why the fuck not right yeah i'm not sure if you know every time these titan wielders like regenerate their bodies that everything is back to like (laughs) peak performance peak performance (laughs) not in reference to to my least favorite character so far um sorry jason sorry kevin and rob but yeah i guess i really never noticed any of them having like physical limitations like where Aaron has poor eyesight or or Zeke has poor eyesight Um, the other thing is would Zeke's prescription I guess even match those of the glasses from the person he took I don't know I just imagine he doesn't need them they're just fashion glasses like maybe maybe the guy originally needed them um, but he doesn't actually need them he's just wearing them as a memento to this, this dude and so he can get that nice anime shine when he's doing like, yeah. some scheming. <laughs> but right, the episode. Um, right off the bat, Eren emotionally wrecks Mikasa and physically wrecks Armin. This whole table talk scene was, oh my God, right in the feels. Like obviously right in their feels, but also right in our feels as the audience members. Because as I mentioned earlier, we grew up with these characters. We watched them grow up on screen and always have each other's backs and always be that main trio close-knit sure they didn't always get along but they never they never had a conversation quite like this before so this one was just brutal just so brutal yeah as i think about it now and you're probably gonna hate this reference um it's watching them um engage in this conversation it reminds me a lot of you know the trio from harry potter oh my god because <laughs> <laughs> you know like we saw them at younger ages and they were all happy-go-lucky and then as they matured like darker things started happening in their un- universe as much as dark things are happening in this universe um so to kind of see them in this new element 
and to see Aaron have this very, I guess, sinister side of him attack the people that he's cared about the most since the beginning, it's it's very jarring. Yeah, and he drops like a lot of wisdom and like, I don't know, all these concepts on Armin and, and Mikasa. Like, first off, he, he questions why Armin has been going to see Annie so often. And then he says, but you know, first he says, I'm free. And then he says, you're not free because Bertold has taken over your mind and you're a slave to him. He had feelings for Annie, which is why you're going to, to see her so often. Um, but that doesn't make any sense to me because Armin had a crush on Annie back in the day. He's always had a crush on her. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, not even the fact that she betrayed all the scouts could stop him from having a crush on her, apparently. So I, I get perhaps where Aaron is coming from, but I feel like Armin has already shown signs of being interested in Annie way before he ever, you know, acquired Beartold's Titan. Yeah, and I guess with Aaron saying that he is a slave to to Beartold's thoughts or whatever um, is kind of hypocritical on Aaron's part because in a way like right now he is also being a slave to however Zeke is trying to manipulate him although he's again claiming that after speaking with Zeke he has this new concept of of having free will and also by that same logic Aaron got his titan from his dad who got him or got that titan from Aaron Kruger so wouldn't you be able to argue that Aaron is a slave to his father's thoughts and Aaron Kruger's thoughts. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. does seem very apparent, um, especially now, because I, uh, with him kind of changing his tone in the last year, I don't know how long it's been, last month, six months, I don't know. Um, but recently kind of changing his tune, perhaps he's kind of identifying more with the the thoughts that he's acquired from those two previous Titan wielders. Although I think he seemed to have been struggling with the memories that he had seen um and you know with Zeke kind of putting his thoughts into the picture that just makes Aaron more 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 and more cynical um but yeah I, I as much as we all want to root for Aaron in this moment just the things that he says in this conversation are are just very like you you kind of don't want to root for him anymore yeah he's he's very um i don't know he's ambiguous at this point as far as our our main hero goes he then goes on to say that he hates mikasa because she's a slave and um dick move i yeah i find that interesting because he he criticizes her for criticizes her for being a slave but he never once hesitated to use her loyalty nor did he ever try to help break her free from being a slave so to me, it's like it's either him being overly convenient, like, yeah, I'm going to criticize you because you're a slave, but, you know, also I'm still going to use that to my advantage. Um, or it's it's him kind of playing a, another game here. Like, I don't believe it, to, to be quite frank. I don't believe um, that Mikasa being an Ackerman is the only thing that is causing her to, you know, protect Aaron the way that she does. I think... The fact that he saved her life is plenty of reason why she would be so loyal to him. There mm-hmm. may be, I'm sure there's plenty of truth in what he said about the Ackermans um, being designed to protect LDS King and that they, I guess they can technically have um, other hosts as well because Aaron, I guess, is is her host. But again, like, I, I feel like there's more to the story. Like, I, I feel like he's just kind of saying these things to kind of put her in a corner um, and kind of, you know, push at her a little bit to, to start to be independent. 
Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about her again being kind of like this, or the, I guess the Ackermans as a whole being sleeper agents, um, it it's technically sound if you kind of think about all the times that Mikasa has tried to save her in his life. But I I agree, like it's almost like a half-assed excuse for what feels like they had like a very genuine bond um, since they were children. The one caveat with what Aaron said, though, that kind of sticks with me is that he said the Ackermans were programmed to protect the royal family, but Aaron technically does not have any royal blood. He does say that Mikasa mistakenly identified him as the host or whatever. And it's so mm. weird to say the host like she's a parasite or something. Um, so maybe, you know, even though it, they're meant to protect royalty, they can protect others depending on how or when their powers are activated maybe i don't know i just thought he was just saying all these things to kind of play up the heat of the moment to really rile up the emotions in both mikasa and armin yeah it is kind of difficult to to discern whether or not aaron is being fully truthful or you know how much of the truth he's stretching um because he he says all this he shares this knowledge Drops, I mean, this is a pretty major bomb to kind of learn, you know, why the Ackermans are the way that they are, why they have the skills that they have. But he doesn't explain how he found that out. Like, where did that information come from, right? So, like, mm -hmm. how, how did he learn all of that stuff? Was it from his dad's memories? Did Zeke tell him this? Like, we, we don't know at this point. Um, so, it's, it's almost like you want to take this information with a grain of salt. And kind of along those lines, um, I kind of have... I guess it's not really a theory, but um, trying to piece together what Aaron's really doing here. Um, obviously, he's he's sunk to a new low by kind of alienating himself from the people that he's he's cared about the most. But I'm starting to think, you know, I've or we've mentioned how it seems like Zeke's playing a very long game um, over the course of this season. Uh, but I I'm wondering if Aaron himself is also playing a long game. Um, and that, here's my other Batman reference for the week. Um, like Aaron is almost like Batman where he's a hero who kind of prefers to work alone and kind of avoid connections with people because of the risk that those relationships pose. And it's almost like a way to kind of protect himself and to protect those people. So I feel like Aaron's only doing this um, as a way to distance himself, again, from these people that he loves so that he can kind of shoulder the bigger burden on his own. See, I have a similar but slightly different take on it, at least when it comes to Mikasa. So I agree. There's got to be a good reason that Aaron's behaving this way, that he's distancing himself and causing this rift between him and his best friends. Like, I'm just not convinced that he actually harbors negative feelings toward mm -hmm. either, either of them because 75% of the show, he's shown nothing but genuine care for them. Um, again, he saved Mikasa's life, and we got the flashback of them all being sentimental and, and blushing and stuff. And when you think about um, maybe season three, I think, when um, Armin gets uh, crispy. <laughs> roasted. <laughs> yeah, he gets roasted, um, literally. Armin coffee roasted. <laughs> by by Bertolt. Um, Aaron, or, yeah, Aaron freaks the fuck out when he thinks that Levi's going to save Erwin instead of Armin. Like, he's screaming and crying, and they have to physically hold him back. Um, because he wants so desperately for Levi to save his best friend. So I, again, I, like all these things just don't add up. And I feel like um, Mikasa and Armin are not only important to him 
personally, they're also incredibly valuable to him right now. Mikasa with her skills and, and always protecting him. And then Armin with his his brain power, because the kid's pretty pretty clever, but also his Titan power. Like, what are you gonna do? Kill Armin and lose the colossal Titan? Like you're you're not gonna do that. So I think that he I'm not quite sure why he's kind of pushing Armin away, but with Mikasa, I think it's because he's trying to push her to be more independent, to to break free from this Ackerman way, this Ackerman, I don't know what you call it, like mentality, mentality, or, you know, the way their, their DNA is constructed, who knows what it is. But, um, he wants her again to, to be free from what she's, her instincts and what she's being forced to do as an Ackerman. And as fucked up as the scene is, and perhaps Aaron didn't have to be that much of a dick about it. Um, I feel like he has to really apply the pressure with her because all she knows at this point is to be by his side and protect him. So if he's not more aggressive about it, he may not be successful in helping her break free from, I almost want to call it the Ackerman curse, but I don't hmm. feel like that's appropriate. I, I'll, I'll find a good term for it, but we'll, you, you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I guess in some sense, he's kind of forcing her into a warped sense of, of freedom um, by not really carefully choosing his words with her um but yeah i again everything that aaron says in this conversation with the two of them it's almost like an antithesis of everything we've seen of aaron um in these past three seasons so as you said like it something doesn't seem right here for aaron to to suddenly have this about face unless he truly has been manipulated by zeke but yeah, a little part of me thinks that this is all just a facade um, and that Aaron is just trying to protect, again, the people that he loves the most. The conversation around the Ackermans actually made me think a little bit more about Levi. Um, and I just wonder if if he... So we, we know that he was kind of adopted into the Ackerman family, but he has the skills of an Ackerman, like superhuman skills of an Ackerman. And so I wonder... Theoretically, like if he were actually an Ackerman, um, who would you say his quote unquote host is? Like who who awakened his powers and became his host? Because he he had his skills when he was with Kenny. Mm-hmm. But then it seemed like he was very protective of Erwin. Yeah, I would say Erwin Dancho. Erwin Dancho. Um, and that was clearly seen um towards the end of season three. Um when Aaron or Erwin gets pummeled by that boulder and then Levi has to make the difficult choice of either saving him or saving Armin and Levi like staunchly chooses um, to give the Titan serum to Erwin to eat Bertolt right Um, but he remembers later on that uh, Erwin had no intention of like continuing onwards um, after this war uh, so I guess in a way he's still being loyal to Erwin by by obeying like his not his command there but like his request to I guess finally die in peace. But he just wants to die. Yeah, <laughs> like Reiner. <laughs> but yeah, I would say like it was probably Erwin that kind of woke up this I guess Ackerman power and Levi. I could see that. And on the flip side, if he's not actually an Ackerman. 
does that mean that he's just super fucking skilled as a titan slayer i mean Hell like yeah, superhuman skills man the guy is crazy <laughs> mikasa at least has like the the confirmed ackerman blood and and that, that's how she has her crazy abilities but for him it's like if he really is adopted into the ackermans and doesn't have that ackerman blood then he is just fucking fierce he just is he just is although i'm kind of curious like why no one in this show ever questions how both of them are ackermans it's like it's never brought up am i right well mikasa's dad is an ackerman no i mean like the other characters in the show like they never say like you know that mikasa and levi kind of share the same last oh name. like if they're related or yeah. whatever yeah you're right at least not from what I can recall. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just interesting, but um, yeah, I mean, it, they're both Ackermans. Like, yeah, they're, they're both like cold-blooded, not killers, but... Spirit. No, they're cold-blooded killers, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Aaron also says um, when he takes Armin and Mikasa away that he he was like, if you just tell me where Zeke is at, then we don't have to keep fighting like this. But in my head, I'm like, uh, they don't know where he is, right? Like, only Hanj knows, and then a few of the scouts who run supplies back and forth. Didn't she yeah. tell us that, like, a couple episodes ago? Yeah, she said that to um, Pictius and the military um, after, was it, Commander Zachary was blown to pieces. Um, so, yeah, it's just odd that he's questioning uh, Armin and Mikasa about his Zeke's whereabouts. Um, but now I'm thinking it through. Like, they're rounding up all these scouts and we see a scene of them later all um, imprisoned in a cell oh yeah like... that's right they are in the fucking cell see that's where i think like he's he's secretly trying to protect them from something right? oh okay yeah i could see that i hope uh, that yeah so yeah but for him to ask that question just seems out of the blue because unless he didn't know that hans was the only person that knew zeke's location yeah, I, he probably assumes that they know because they're they're pretty important scouts at this point, and I think they're they're privy to a lot of things other people aren't. Mm-hmm. And the whole time this crazy conversation is happening, and emotions are spilling out everywhere, Mikasa's crying, and Armin's bleeding from his face because everyone keeps beating him up. Gabby's just sitting there. She's just sitting there, probably like, "What the fuck is happening? Like, I'm in enemy territory. Everyone fucking hates me. I killed Sasha." Aaron Yeager is here, and everyone's screaming and crying and beating each other up, and I don't know what's going to happen to me. <laughs> She's all talk, because remember, she says, I'm going to kill Aaron Yeager back in uh, Liberio, but like now that she knows everything that's going on and finally understands the situation at hand, like she just sits there like a little bitch. Yeah, she just chickens out at the last minute. <laughs> like, there's the guy you want to kill. Go ahead, do it. But again, I, I mentioned this last uh, episode that I'm annoyed that she gets the, the privilege of being in the room when this conversation happens. I I kept saying that I was looking forward to this this reunion of the main trio. It's kind of a bittersweet moment because, yeah. yeah, they're back together, but this is not the conversation that I was expecting at all. Like, not even a single part of the conversation was civilized. I was hoping for at least, like, some sort of, you know sentimental moment between them but like like an intervention yeah like literally none of that aaron allowed for none of that shit in this conversation um but yeah gabby got to be part of that uh, much to her dismay <laughs> well she didn't really contribute anything anyways she never contributes anything okay yeah. <laughs> she only takes mm-hmm. away she only <laughs> takes away sasha's life mm-hmm. 
In the next major scene of this episode, we have um, Levi and Zeke and all of the scouts that turn into Titans. And man, this was uh, this was equally brutal to the table talk scene that we had just a moment ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we see Levi uh, at his lowest point in these past two episodes. So you kind of have to imagine the strength that it has, uh, the strength that it takes for him to continue to like move onward or to Susume. Uh, despite knowing that he was the one who allowed his scouts to drink the wine and that, you know, continuing his support for Aaron is turning out to be like this losing battle. Um, and then obviously all that just gets turned up another notch when, again, his comrades are turned into Titans and he has to dispose of them all. Yeah, Levi must feel like some crazy kind of guilt knowing that he was so close to not giving any of his troops the wine. Like he he gave into their begging and said, um, are you sure we need wine? Like we've got tea. You don't need wine. Uh, but he, he let them have it anyway. We've got tea. <laughs> we've got tea. And they're probably thinking in their heads like, dude, that's not fucking close at all. Yeah, <laughs> one's alcoholic. Yeah, one's alcoholic. One's not. Um, but he's clearly conflicted about killing them and states how so many of their own had to be sacrificed up until this point. Um, and this is just another one of those instances where it really just, I think, sucks more than some of the the moments we've seen in the past about having to have scouts killed somewhat needlessly um, to you know progress the mission. And at the end of the day, I, I truly feel like it's not Levi who killed those scouts. It's Yelena and Zeke for giving them the wine and activating the Titan transformations that cannot be undone, as far as we know, unless they eat one of the nine Titans. Mm -hmm. So all Levi did was kill pure Titans. That, that's all he did. Um, there's Again, unless there's a way to, to reverse that, Zeke having given them the wine and activating those those transformations is the uh, the final nail in the coffin for them. Although I want to say like Zeke was kind of short-sighted in thinking that like Levi would be completely conflicted about killing his former comrades who have just turned into Titans. I mean, like we did see Levi kind of hesitate because when he's trying to attack, I think he called, what's it, the name Varis? I don't um, remember. Yeah, one of the Titans, like he sees his face, but then he sees the former face of that, of that scout. Um, so he's still like, he has to reconcile with it, but... Like Levi's and the whole, all of the scouts have been technically doing this for years. So I guess he, in a way he's like desensitized to it, but that's still like very fucked up in itself, I guess. He also remembers the promise that he made to, to Erwin and he says, you know, I'm going to keep that promise. So I think that's also a driving force for his decision to kill off those, those Titans. And at the end of the day, like he made the right decision. Like it's do or die in this situation. And he knows that if he does not kill them, he will die. Mm-hmm. And I think it's clever that Zeke was drinking the wine the entire time, um, knowing what was in it, because he had already kind of falsified that Eldians will freeze up when they have some of his spinal fluid. But he kind of like added more to the story or uh, kind of in increased his facade by drinking the wine at the same time as everyone else and, and asking about the wine and wanting more wine. Like that really threw off Levi, I think, and helped to secure this whole plan of his. Although we get a shot of the military brass um, and Falco, they kind of freeze up when it happens. And I think they're just so far away from Zeke's location that they don't completely turn into Titans, but they 
they do freeze up for a moment. So I think that part of the story is still kind of true. Well, I don't think they they freeze up. They just felt like electricity go through their body. Like they kind of felt like, mm. I don't know, like a tingling sensation of some sort. And plus they already drank the wine, um, but they didn't freeze up at the moment they ingested the spinal fluid per Zeke's story. Yeah, I guess. But maybe because it's in a a liquid form instead of the gaseous form it has its uh different kind of potency That's well the way i think I they kind of understood it i'm pretty sure they established that there's no freezing up at all like that was a, a flat-out lie hanj caught on to that um in the last episode with uh nicolo revealing mm. um nicolo re- revealing what was in the wine she realized like oh everyone's been drinking it but no one froze up zeke obviously lied about that and then in this episode, Levi comes to the same conclusion when he's trying to get away from the Titans. He says, you know, they all drank the wine, um, but oh, yeah, yeah. none of them froze up. Did did Zeke end up lying about that? So I think they caught on to that. I think he was just, he was fucking with them. And mm-hmm. uh, one thing I want to say is their wide shot of Levi, I guess, falling amidst the pure Titans in the forest was very desktop wallpaper worthy. Wow. So so much so that I changed my desktop wallpaper to that exact scene. And when you showed it to me, at first, it looked like you had a bunch of naked dudes (laughs) on your your desktop wallpaper. It basically (laughs) is. But um, yeah, credits to Mappa for that gorgeous visual. Oh my God, yeah. The whole showdown between Levi and Zeke was absolutely amazing. Um, Mappa, I agree, did did a phenomenal job of animating this. Those really cool shots... Um, again, similar to what you're, you're referring to, of Levi just kind of floating in the air and these titans are kind of coming up at him and they're so huge and so close to him and he just looks absolutely serious in those moments. Um, those are just really cool shots that, that make you appreciate the effort and all the work that they put into it. And another shot that was really interesting, um, it's a blink and you'll miss moment, um, as Zeke is escaping the forest with I guess his Titan security detail, which by the way, I think one of them, the one on the left was doing this really weird goose step, which was just really funny. I think it was the one on the right. Or to our right, but to to Zeke's left. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he's like swinging his arms back and forth. Yeah. It's (laughs) like you forget the movements of some of these Titans, like how goofy they are. And that was just a nice reminder of, of their limited motor skill or not like limited motor skill but weird motor skills um but he's talking about how you know levi should have um realized that this would have happened because you're just wasting time um and he talks about getting to meet aaron and making sure that aaron knows the location that he's supposed to rendezvous with him but if you see in the corner of the screen um right before levi's surprise attack you see levi's shadow kind of zoom past and i thought that was just a very cool detail for mappa to include and i don't know if that was conveyed in the manga um but it's a nice reminder that you don't fuck with levi as he will fuck with you yeah i didn't even notice that until you pointed it out like i had we had to go back and rewind it because i was like wait what is it i I could totally miss it but it was really cool to kind of see his like little shadow Mm -hmm. in the background it's kind of creepy almost like levi is so stealthy that he just kind of zooms in or zooms up on on you and slices your arm (laughs) yeah and i think i said this at the beginning uh levi is always just has the upper hand against zeke um which I think this is like their second or third 
third battle, if you count their brief scuffle um, in Liberio as a battle. There, well, that I that, that that's a that's a tough out. one, yeah, because yeah. it was all staged, but mm-hmm. it, it still was enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and this was a very brutal exchange between the both of them because once Zeke turns into the Beast Titan, he starts using um, the body parts of the Titans that were escorting him um, as throwing objects instead of boulders as he's used in the past um, to to kind of attack Levi, and then Levi responds with you know cutting off these branches so it makes everything look like a green blur (laughs) Uh, like his cape yeah and then obviously levi obliterates zeke in turn um and you see just this really mangled version of zeke's human body which is like beyond recognition at this point so it's a very gory scene um although it's not like appropriately gory like i think they did just the the right amount of gore but let me Mm -hmm. let me go back really quick because you were talking about the pure titans and their their way of running i did want to comment on that um i really miss pure titans like just in general Mm -hmm. and i know this season is way more focused on the political drama and on all the humans and everything but man i miss them kind of like how the first half of season three we were all like, where are the fucking Titans? Where are yeah. the Titans? Um, we get a little more Titans this time around. Um, kind of wet our appetites. Yeah, but I, I did miss seeing them. And, and I really, I like you, I appreciated this, this scene so much because for a show that's incredibly dramatic and serious, it's such a random and funny thing to make them run in such a silly or goofy fashion, especially when pure Titans are on the screen. Like that means bad business for the characters. Like this is supposed to be really intense. It's, it's supposed to be, um, you know, very terrifying for everyone. Cause they're about to get eaten. They're about to get killed. But then like around the corner comes this Titan who's like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like running with his arms yeah, flailing, flailing up in the air. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's, it's such a, a funny combination of elements to put on screen at the same time but it works like it works so well and Mm -hmm. it makes them feel not only goofy but also like more eerie when you see them because they're like so out there and you can't kind of like put your finger on what the fuck they are or Mm -hmm. if they're thinking or what it just makes them very very scary i think yeah i think that was actually isayama's intent when he first conceived the idea for attack on titan um the idea that you, there are these beings that you can't necessarily communicate with. Like, how do you react to that? Um, so to make them seem like this outlandish, I get looking at it um, on a broader level, it, it's it's kind of comical. But if you were to face that like head on in person, like how would you even react? Yeah, it would be incredibly hard to process what's going on because you're you know you're about to die there's this crazy being that that is like a thousand times bigger than you and it's also super fucking weird (laughs) it's just weird and it's naked (laughs) yeah that's a lot to process in a moment where you're about to be eaten but that's nothing on my boy levi so (laughs) well to go back into the, the fight itself um agree 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 with everything that you said this fight between the two of them is um fucking gorgeous i do want to mention that that it's probably close to the way that it was animated and the way everything was executed. It was pretty close to the first time they battled. I mean, nothing will ever top that fight where oh, no. yeah. um, Levi attacks Zeke and Zeke is completely caught off guard. But this one I thought was pretty well animated as well. And I love that 
um, Mappa, you could tell Mappa took extra care and extra time in animating this fight and making sure that Levi's movements were just as fluid as they were in that previous fight with Zeke. And I don't think they used any rotoscoping. <laughs> Oh my god! (laughs) Right? I think so. Yeah, which is why it looked so fucking amazing. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Beast Titan was still CGI. Oh yeah, it's true. It was fine. Like you know, I think Levi being um, animated in such a an amazing way made it a little bit easier to accept that the Beast Titan was uh, was CGI. But again, nothing will compare to the pure Sakuga of Mm -hmm. the first Levi and Zeke showdown. And I feel like uh, Zeke's voice actor did such a good job of portraying Zeke's frustration, like his extreme frustration. He's so fucking salty that he just cannot get rid of Levi. And that voice actor just laid it all on the line. Like he was screaming and just pissed off. And I felt it. I totally felt what Zeke was feeling in that moment. Yeah. On the comical level, it's kind of him saying, not again. God damn it. (laughs) But obviously like he has to put in like the, the savage um, voice behind that. I was a bit distracted by the vocals that were in the song that came on during this oh, fight. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the song itself was cool. It was a different take because most of the time, music in Attack on Titan is more, I don't know what you call it, like... Orchestral. Yeah, orchestral and, and very um, appropriate for the, the time period, I guess, that it's set in. This was more like of a modern song i guess Mm -hmm. right is that a good way to describe it yeah it kind of was like when my hero season four used that like emotional ballad during uh, midoriya's fight with overhaul and like the chick starts singing in the middle of it yeah i feel like it it kind of or like not dampens but it distracts yeah it, it distracts you from the epicness of the battle itself because like, it does it like it clashes with what you're seeing on screen. Yeah, unless well, like you're this was like a like a AMV with just a, a metal song playing in the background. That's what this kind of reminded me of. I feel like it's just really out of place overall for Attack on Titan because again, it, it doesn't match all the other music and, and the score that we've heard so far. I mean, if you think about the um the one opening Shinzo wo Sasageo and then you play this right after it like that doesn't match <laughs> at all mm-hmm. um so it did feel extremely out of place but even more so because those vocals came on um I did see that somebody said it was Kenny's theme song or one of the songs during this fight was Kenny's theme song but I might have been that one. I don't even know like if that's true or not so someone will have to confirm that for us but overall it didn't make this fight any less epic um mm-hmm. I think it would have been preferred with different music but uh yeah it was still a great fight overall and in the next scene we have flock that little fucking bitch and all of the cadets and the potato sergeant and more savagery (laughs) i i get why some of those cadets are questioning why they need to learn how to fight titans um while they're correct that they should be learning to use guns and preparing to fight humans they're wrong that they don't need to learn how to fight titans because the whole reason paradise has survived this long and um we all and and the only way that they'll really win against the marley warriors is if they know how to fight titans they know how to cut the nape of the neck and extract the titan wielder and and all that fun stuff so i think it just kind of shows how disconnected these younger cadets are from what's happened you know after the walls were breached they kind of are like 
complacent or too comfortable um mm. i don't know just something about it just shows that they really don't know what's what's up like they don't know what the fuck they're talking about because they weren't there they, they didn't see it so they don't trust it yeah like they're so far removed from i guess the brutality that happened in years past uh, and obviously at the same time like the government in parodies and the military is in shambles so i mean i i can kind of get that perspective um yeah and honestly flock did not need to tell those cadets to beat up potato sergeant like it was just unnecessary and it was just flock wanting to flex on everybody like he he really was a little asshole in this episode kind of like how he was in the previous episode with hanj and you can tell um you could tell earlier on that he was a problem problematic character when he was first introduced in season three because he kind of questioned and wanted to at first defy Erwin's orders on that suicide mission and he never really kind of believed in what the scouts fought for or how they you know how they went about achieving their mission so it's no surprise that he's the first to jump on the Jaegerist bandwagon um, but man he's really gotten power hungry real mm -hmm. fast yeah, I was gonna say it's all going to his head um, and you know he's at this point, he is no different from how Gabby used to act um, in kind of glorifying the idea of Aaron being like the savior of Eldia. Because, um, yeah, he's he's basically become the Jaegerist yes man uh, in this case. He's the poster boy. Yeah. And I think him telling the cadets to prove their loyalty by beating up Shadis is just him kind of finding more symbol symbolism behind their cause um, and kind of putting the Jaegerists on this on this high pedestal um, to the point where like he's just becoming like their propaganda machine see I it's interesting that you say that he um, he ordered them to beat up potato sergeant as a way to kind of like symbolize driving out the old ways of doing things but I truly feel like flock was using that as kind of like the the facade on the outside but his true intention was just to get back at potato sergeant mm -hmm. kind of like how he wants to just always get back at hanj because I, I get that he's frustrated um and wants to help progress aaron's plan because it's kind of what he actually believes will save everyone but his his demeanor signals malicious intent again the way he treats hanj and the way you know he kind of goes over the top with beating up potato sergeant like none of that's necessary he doesn't even bother to try to persuade them he just immediately result uh results to force and, and threats and all this stuff so i think he's just um trying to appear like he's doing it all for the mission but has some some sort of personal satisfaction behind that yeah i guess he's kind of a double-edged sword in that sense also, it was just kind of sad to see Shadis um, lying on the ground, especially after he says, like, if you like, what does he say? If any of these tots think they can take me on, like, they're wrong or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, it, like, you, the screen cuts to black and then you just see him heaving. It's like, it's it's sad. It is. And I think the only thing more disappointing than Flock's demands or his ultimatum was the fact that those scouts or those cadets actually did beat him up despite feeling hesitant like they could have just said like dude flock we'll go with you like we already said yes to this you don't need to have us beat up this guy um but he threatened to imprison them he did yeah oh i totally missed that <laughs> part so like they all had their their guns out uh, or rifles out and i 
want to point that out too. It's funny how Shadow says like nobody cares what your little gang of ass wipes says. <laughs> the only reason they care is because you're you're holding rifles at our heads. Yeah, a hundred percent. He was right about that. Mm-hmm. I did find it interesting that Flock is still calling Hanj Hanj Dancho. And I can't tell again, like similar to, you know, telling everyone to beat up Potato Sergeant. I can't tell if it's out of habit or if he's doing it as a way to spite her. Um, And it kind of makes me think back to um, Aaron in this season when they first get back to Paradise and he's jailed and uh, he's arguing with Hanj. kind of grabs her through the jail cell bars or whatever. He calls her Hanj-san instead of Hanj-dancho, kind of alluding to the fact that he doesn't respect her or see her as his leader. But then... Earlier in the season, when he first reunites with Levi, he immediately calls him Hajo. <laughs> so it's like, no matter what happens, Aaron will always respect Levi. Like, he can be, Aaron can be the biggest dick in the world and think that he's running the show, but he will always respect Levi. He will never disrespect his ass. Because Levi kicked him to a pulp during that trial. So <laughs> he's he, kicked him to a pulp multiple I, times. Yeah, that, that's also true. Um, but I think. Locke was kind of being snarky when he was he referred to Hanj as um, Hanj Dancho. Yeah, I but, can see that. Yeah. Going back to your point about him letting power go to his head, it's like he he now has this this leading figure in the military um, at the tip of his finger, so he's going to just roll with it however he can. Yeah, and I'm worried he's going to do something drastic. He's going to do something real stupid because it just seems like something his dumbass character would do yeah hopefully i'm wrong though (laughs) yeah i mean i would hope so because i hate looking at his k-pop hair (laughs) (laughs) although it's better than his weird like poop swishy hair that he had before yeah that's true too um sorry to any k-pop fans out there (laughs) and i know that normally we'll go into the the preview for the next episode um this one's gonna be a little tough to talk about just because we've already watched episode 74 but the only thing i really wrote down about the preview is that when i first saw the baby on screen i thought it was nicolo like baby nicolo oh yeah and then as like the preview progressed i'm like oh i think it's supposed to be zeke <laughs> mm-hmm. um so yeah i think it's pretty obvious that the next episode is going to be a flashback that reflects on zeke's life because we did see that at the end of this episode um, when Levi holds him hostage in his cart, um, and Ze- uh, Zeke asks where his glasses are, and then we see that tiny flashback of him playing catch with, um, who I assume to be a Marleyan warrior, because he had the red armband. Yes, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> All yeah. I noticed was the glasses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this one's gonna be a flashback, but hopefully it gives us. A little bit more insight on to what's been going on in Zeke's head this whole time. Spoiler alert. It does give us that backstory. Because, yes, <laughs> again, we, we all already watched 74. But for the folks who maybe have not or, you know, just to stay true to what we do here, we'll, we'll not spoil anything. But look forward to our episode 74 review right after this. And that brings us into our final thoughts for episode 73, Savagery. So how many Levitations out of 10 would you give this episode? I would give it an 8.5, maybe almost a 9. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence, like somewhere between 8.5 and 9. Um, I, I'm hesitant to give it a full 9 just because it was a talking episode, except for the, the fight between Zeke and Levi. Um, but I want to give it a 9 because 
of the fight between Zeke and <laughs> Levi. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm right. I'm right there. I think that uh, this episode, as I said earlier, just evoked so many emotions, both for the characters on screen, but also for us as the audience members. And um, they were unexpected emotions. They were there was unexpected information shared, um, and there was a lot of fucking savagery. This was just a brutal, brutal episode to watch overall. Different from the brutalness of the brutality, the oh the brutality of when like Gabby killed Sasha or anything really related to Gabby because that's that's more frustrating. This was brutal in kind of that bittersweet way. But what about you? I would give this episode the full nine Levitations out of ten. Damn. And yeah, that's probably because it featured my boy Levi. Um, but other than that, I think the plot really leaps and bounds forward in this third to last episodic outing before the quote-unquote end of this final season. Um, the conversation between Aaron, Mikasa, and Armin was disappointing, but more so in terms of how it was demonstrating, I guess, Aaron's fall from grace and the futility with which Armin and Mikasa were trying to win him back and how that conversation, in that conversation, Aaron himself is kind of embodying what the title of this episode suggests, like the savagery of his new philosophy and whether or not his concept of free will is as true as he claims it to be. And thinking about this a little bit more, it's kind of ironic how the insignia for the Scout Regiment is referred to as the Wings of Freedom. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it seems like, you know, anything dealing with the Scouts is always about freedom, but here, freedom, or the concept of freedom is that conflict. And then you have, again, the physical savagery, savagery of this episode with my boy Levi um, decimating Zeke, and also how, like, you know, he reflects on killing uh, his fellow countrymen or turn, who have turned into Titans, and I guess the Scouts as a whole, and how they've been killing Titans, um, and how that's realization that they're killing their own kind is only served to kind of send the Eldians as a whole further backward instead of forward. But again, we'll see what Zeke's plan to actually move the Eldian cause forward is going to be in the next episode, which thankfully won't be too long of a wait for us. Um, Random question. What the fuck is Peek up to right now? We haven't seen yeah, her yeah, ass yeah. in like two, one, two episodes. Um, I, I don't know what's going on there. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, are the other Marleyan warriors with her? I would assume so. I doubt they would just send Peek by herself to go fight because she can't fight. She just no, runs let around. Her, <laughs> let her hold her own and let's see what she can do. I want to go back and, like, rewatch this episode and see if they they subtly kind of drop in Reiner or something in the background because mm -hmm. that's something that Isayama would totally do but yeah I'm, I'm also kind of just itching to see what's going on it makes me apprehensive like they're there they're watching everything unfold um and then paradise is like crumbling from the inside out so this is gonna make for a very sticky situation they're probably just seeing that and like just hanging back and watching popcorn like oh they'll just yeah like, themselves for us like hang on guys we don't actually have to do anything yeah, at all <laughs> just chill and have some marley and house wine <laughs> And that wraps up this special episode of Strictly Anime. New special episodes release every Wednesday following the new episode of Attack on Titan, and this is in addition to our regular schedule for Strictly Anime. 
If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the strictly series and be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the strictly series and on Twitter at strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageyo. Shinzo wa sasageyo. But what were your thoughts on this episode? <laughs> Stop. <Ew. laughs>